All right, right. Cheers, Prince. Thanks. Right, you can stop now. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we're back. We're back again. Uh, we're on first time films this time with a chat with David Campbell. Buffalo. <sighs> How are we? I don't like. I don't like this at all. I don't like this. What? I don't like oh, being the, the other side of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all about you, Truff, isn't it? It's all about you. Oh, God, man, don't even start. We'll get more <laughs> into it. We'll get more into that, I suppose, later on. But, like, there is a, there's a difference between the sort of front I put up when we do podcasts and stuff like that as a, like, confident we're getting this done and then actually the practicality of being in a situation when all the attention is <laughs> on me. <laughs> like, and I'm just like, no, no, take it, take it away, take the spotlight somewhere else, please. <laughs> right, well, we'll get started with um, your your general aspirations, Truff. Right. Um, I want it, we'll start with the, the actual podcast and why we started it. That was kind of what we finished with with my chat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll start with that. Based, you know, as as you said, the founding fathers of the podcast yeah. are here together again. Aye, um, that's good stuff. So, <laughs> what what was your thoughts when you thought, right, let's make a podcast, um, and kind of what went into the thought behind the structure of it, and how mm-hmm. we were going to how we were going to actually plan it out? <laughs> Basically, like I was asked to join Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet back at the start of 2018 it must have been um it was andy mitchell actually who approached me and he was like look i've done this wrestling podcast i think you'd be really good on it um so i was like yeah went along and did a couple episodes and got really into it and i'll be honest with you i'd never listened to a podcast before doing that podcast you know that's the weird thing about it i didn't really know what podcasting was to be honest with you it was one of those things i was just like pure dismissive of i was like oh this uh, it's going to be a trend that's going to sort of die out like within a year or something like that like no one's going to want to listen to podcasts but I did that and I seen there was like a fan base there and I was getting to talk about obviously I I love wrestling so I was getting to talk about something I was passionate about with a group of people who were also passionate about it and it led to some good discussions and I was like right okay I've done this with wrestling why can't I do this talking about films and I knew me and you like obviously I've had discussions about films and like in the past, you know what I mean? Sort of informally. And so you were my first choice to, to do it with. So I was just like, do I do a film podcast? Um, and obviously it fit. And I was going to Boston at that point as well. Right. So it was one of those mm-hmm. ones wherein I was going over there, putting all the projects I had going to the side for the meantime. So I did want to have something to work on as well at the same time when I was over there, which is weird because most people would be like, right, I'm going to a foreign country. I'll just, I'll take, I'll take, take a break. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a break for me. I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't do any work. Like I need to find something else to, to fill this slot here. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, um, but you said I, and then we recorded the first day and it sort of just went from there because like, I, I'm not like, it's not like I do everything like off the top of my head, but I don't have like a concrete plan for where things are going because I like to be able to adapt within it. So after we did the first episode, I had an idea and the stuff that I wanted to sort of change and go with the flow from. And yeah, the balls just rolled from there since that very first Breakfast Club one. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it has kind of progressed quite well. So you you fairly happy with how it's been progressing? And, you know, have you have you still got your sets, your sets, your, your sites set <laughs> uh, higher, like, you know, going forward? Do you see... Um, do you see maybe even careers in podcasting or anything like that? Or do you think this is something that you've kind of made your own, um, sort of your own wee baby, you know, and, and yeah. then, you know, can we kick on from it? Obviously, you 
have an interest in directing. So mm-hmm. do you think that this is something that you just have a kind of side ploy so that you can move on and it's just like good experience, I suppose? Or it's it changes a lot. I think in the beginning when you set it up and you see like oh there's some views coming in for the first couple, it's easy to get ahead of yourself, you know, and sort of focus on numbers. I've seen like this podcast group in Facebook I'm part of, someone was like, oh, I'm not getting the numbers I wanted for the first five episodes. Like, what should I do now? And I'm thinking in my head, like, you don't do a podcast to think I'm going to make money off of this, right? Because mm-hmm. right, a podcast that are out there, the lot of competition that's out there, like, it's a very slim chance you're actually going to do it. So the first thing if you're going to do podcasting is make sure you, you actually enjoy it and enjoy what you're doing and enjoy what you're talking about. And that for me is the main priority. Like, obviously, I want to keep putting the brand in positions wherein we could expand and do more um, and obviously lead to opportunities to do more and for everyone to have those opportunities as well, not mm-hmm. just myself, you know what I mean? But my main priority is making sure that everyone who does the shows enjoys doing the shows, you know what I mean? And then it'll come naturally from there. We're doing the shows, we're getting more content out there and if people enjoy it, like you said in the, the TV interview there, that's it's a plus, you know? And my like you said, my main priority, like my main aspiration in life is to write screenplays and have screenplays sold. Like that's the ultimate dream for me. So mm-hmm. everything, everything I do is obviously going to be geared somewhat towards that. But I think what you said with the podcast, it is more for the enjoyment of it. You know what I mean? And it's more that I do enjoy getting together maybe once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, just depending on how many shows are on, to see, watch a movie I might not have seen ever before and then t- talk about it. It's simple as that, to be honest with you, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> and I mean, like like me, well, like you just said, there is, it's just a bonus, like, you know, if it picks mm-hmm. up and, and gets the the attention that it desires. The, the, the thing is, it's never going to go away just now, you know, yeah. every episode and all the content that we put out, um, isn't going to go away so uh, it's always going to be there for somebody to listen to from start to finish and I kind of mm-hmm. forget that sometimes you know that personally uh, yeah. I sometimes forget that when yeah. when, we put, <laughs> when we put an episode out there's like, no expiry date on it uh, like that's not just the next thing that somebody needs to listen to you know cause that, mm-hmm. because that's the way that we obviously put them out it's almost like you know mm-hmm. the next episode next episode so you know, in my head, it's like everybody's listened to this up till now, so this yeah. is the next one. So if that's a shite one, then they're going to stop listening because it's shite. Yeah. But then you know, we're always going to have. Works. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have peaks and troughs, aren't we? Yeah, um, peaks and troughs. So yeah, um, you were just saying there about your your screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, I've worked on the the most recent project that you you wrote. Um, mm-hmm. and also directing as well how have you found the directing side of things now that you've obviously decided that screenwriting's for you screenwriting yeah. is sort of your ultimate goal because uh, mm-hmm. I remember obviously directing and editing and you know there's obviously a whole multitude of things that you could get into uh, in yeah. terms of film uh, so what, what's made screenwriting so appealing as you know in compared to anything else sort of this will come up like I try and be as self-aware of myself as possible right and I one of the things I'm very aware of (laughs) not with band t-shirts as you know from the last interview (laughs) but one of of the things I know about myself is that I like to be as much in control as I can be of a situation right so the benefit for me of screenwriting is that it's just me and the page you know what I mean and the keyboard Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying Everything that happens in that story and in that world when it's on the screenwriting page is in my control and it's by my design, you know? So that's what appeals to me about it is like, I like having those, I like having that control over it. You know what I mean? I do like having that control over a script and it's 
there's I love that creative freedom of writing the first draft and it just being sort of instinctual. And then uh, of the, the other part of my brain loves going back to it, right? How do we structure this? How do we change things? How about, do we strengthen you know, it? Yeah. Yeah, how do we fix it? And I love I love both parts of that process equally. I know there's people who prefer each one. You get like script doctors out there and then you get people who are like, oh, like, I'm too proud to fix anything about the script. This script is mm-hmm. perfect because I wrote it. I love both parts of it. With the directing thing, it comes into that thing of suddenly you then have to deal with real world like implications of what you wrote. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I wrote a 50-foot a gigantic metal spider attacks a city I need to figure out a way to film that all of a sudden directing, you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. like yeah. if it's on the page it's just like oh doesn't that sound amazing um, with Andy Mitchell specifically it's been well, it's, what is called Andy Mitchell now called 10 Reasons Not to Make a Movie it was it, called Andy Mitchell Wants to Be a Wrestler it wasn't just called Andy Mitchell yeah it was called Andy <laughs> Mitchell Wants to Be a Wrestler Andy Mitchell's just quicker to say you know <laughs> just I mean? Andy Mitchell <laughs> Andy Mitchell the Andy Mitchell project I think I referred to it a couple of times as well yeah. um, it's one of those ones wherein I was probably a bit naive going into it thinking that I could do a feature film second year at uni not too much experience not not got a budget at all and I was like, yeah, there's a way we can make this work. But I'm not, I don't regret taking on this project to direct because the things that I've learned over the course of this fucking two years of production on Andy Mitchell, uh, <laughs> they've, been, they've been priceless, you know what I mean? And it uh. has been, there's a lot I've learned about myself and the way that I work. There's a lot of things that I've learned that I would do completely differently if I was going to direct a project again. So I'm not saying I wouldn't want to direct again. Like, I'm just saying that for now, after this one is done, I think I do need a break from it to try and strengthen myself in other areas, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that you are a narcissistic, manic dictator? (laughs) (laughs) To an extent, man. (laughs) (laughs) Would you agree with that? So Um, basically, I think what you're referring to is the YouTube videos and all that, yeah? (laughs) Well... We'll get into yeah. You can you can describe that in a minute. So basically, um, what what you were saying there about the the difference between being a director and having to deal with the mm. the implications of the real world and working with yeah. other people, um, yeah. you don't get that with the screenwriting. It's just you, the pen, and the paper, or you and the keyboard. You know. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> obviously, I'm not actually trying to tie this up, uh, ah. saying that you are narcissistic, <laughs> but. That obviously gives you the freedom to work completely alone and yeah. uh, to be your project. Um, do you think that? Do you think that is an element that you prefer, and is that why, you know, um, with Andy Mitchell, you maybe struggled to? I think you know, there's a there's a duality to me as a person, and that I love to be social. I like to be around people. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I like to be doing things. But then there gets to a point where. I don't have the tolerance level sometimes that I wish I had if someone's not seeing eye to eye with me on a certain point. You know what I mean? And I don't think that was... I don't think it was too much of an issue on Andy Mitchell because when we were on set, people were like, right, what do you want to do and how are we going to do it? You know what I mean? There wasn't too many incidents of actual clashing when I was on the set of Andy Mitchell, but it is one of those things wherein I'm my own worst enemy with it because instead of being sort of completely collaborative, I was trying to do a lot myself. Like, I'm trying to source where are we going to get a wrestling ring, where are we going to get this, where are we going to get that, how are we going to get people to set, how are we going to get the food? And then I was having to go in there and do all the creative stuff as well, you know what I mean? And that's not on anyone else because I 
like one of the things I've learned in hindsight is that I should have had people there to sort yeah. of help me with all of that load, but I didn't. I put it all on sort of my shoulders, and the film was going to be worse for it, you know. So that's yeah. not to say that working. I don't like working with people. It's just sometimes I get in my own way with and thinking I can do more than I actually can. If that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so that does lead on to the YouTube video then. Um, <laughs> you obviously started Truff Sings at the start of lockdown to give you something to do, you some, something to wake up in the morning and get well, recorded yeah. and send, yeah. <laughs> send on its way. <laughs> um, so this, um, this Andy Mitchell project is now called 10, Re- 10 Reasons Not To Make A Movie uh, yeah. and your Truff Sings has crashed and burned <laughs> so you can talk a wee bit more about that basically i think the misconception because i've had a lot of people mailing me about this actually asking are you okay and stuff mm-hmm. like that and I've, in hindsight i can see it was a mistake to maybe go as realistic as i did like i've actually maybe that's the strongest acting i've ever done in my life because i usually that yeah, people would know that it was bullshit <laughs> i assumed that people would know that this was bullshit like <laughs> no joke i'd never for a second considered that people would think it was a real thing but the yeah. problem we had was in my head i always knew right trust things were going to go on for maybe a month Right, where we're going to do it, present it seriously at first, and then start that slow turn to narcissistic maniac that you're going to see that character me playing in 10 Reasons Not to Make a Movie. And it's going to be part of the advertisement for that. That's what I wanted to do. The problem was lockdown went on a lot longer than I thought it would. <laughs> so by the time I'd started it, it became clear that if I do this too quickly, I'm not going to be able to hit the sweet spot of when I want people to be at their most invested. You yeah. know what I mean? So I had to take I had to take a hit because I don't right. I'm have a narcissistic streak to an extent. I have a bit of an ego at times that I manage to keep in check by and large, right? I do not think I'm God's gift to singing as I claim to be. It's far from it. I don't have the strongest voice. I have a decent voice at times. There's certain songs that I can sing, but I don't have the strongest voice on the planet, right? And that I think the disconnect was people became so convinced that I thought this channel was great and uh, like you know and yeah. I was putting these videos out every day that when I finally did make that step to none of you deserve me they're like yeah that seems about right you know what I mean rather than rather than sort of questioning it or viewing it as something fictional you know so yeah. in hindsight right I'm happy with how it did because the last video I put up with the explanation that sort of ties it into 10 reasons not to make a yeah, movie yeah. it's got a good number of views on it and at the end of the day if I'm being completely honest with myself this whole thing was to try and get eyes on that channel because that's where yeah. the trailer's going to go up on right end of the day that's what it is it was a long and winding road to get there full of full of mistakes in the way I probably should have handled it so I made clear that people didn't think it was real or worried people that cared you know what I mean and I was happy that people that mailed like thank you very much you know what I mean like I'm perfectly fine and I appreciate your concern legitimately appreciate your concern because that like it's obviously nice nice to see but I apologize or I regret in hindsight not sort of making the boundaries between fact and fact and fiction clearer when it came to doing that experiment but it was what it was I took a swing with it and some things worked, some things didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. It was brave enough to just do it. Like, I don't think anyone else should have the brass neck to actually do the the whole thing in general, especially out of our mates. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I admire of you that you just a lot of the time you just do you. Um, mm-hmm. not, 
you know, and um, that's always been a big part of like what you do. You know, you've always put yourself out there for the for the mm. pro- like for a project of some sorts. You know, um, yeah. you're willing to go that extra extra mile for it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the only thing is it's just been a little bit uh, misconceived, and that that's purely that's purely where the um, the confusion lies. I think now yeah. now that you did, the, I think it, you sort of did tie it together a wee bit with the the most recent post, um, mm. and with um, the trailer coming out, like it'll make a lot more sense for people. Mm. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, I'll move on to your music taste. You were saying there about how there's certain songs you can sing, and uh, yeah, and whatnot. So, do you find that the songs you can sing are songs that you generally listen to more, or is it just like, oh, totally, yeah, because <laughs> totally I can think of Bon Jovi. <laughs> it's not even. It's, it's, I love a sad song. Like I absolutely love a sad song, mate. Like, I, like that's that's my wheelhouse. I don't know what it is. I just like to listen to like pure music about someone being heartbroken or someone dealing with a death or something like that. Like that's like, oh, I'm yeah. like, oh yes, a nice meaty song. You know what I mean? Like this is what you're talking <laughs> about, chart music. Like I don't want to hear about like someone's ass in the dance floor. You know what I mean? That's that's not what I'm, what I'm here for. Mate. Give, yeah, me, exactly. give me a, a, a five minute reflection on the Vietnam War and I'm sold. You you know what I mean? That's that's the music I'm into, and Absolutely. like that's that comes like classic rock. Like I love a bit of the Eagles. Obviously, I've seen Aerosmith. Like paid a, a more money than I should have to go and see Aerosmith and downloads. <laughs> uh, Fleetwood Mac by extension, Stevie Nicks. A lot more Bruce Springsteen nowadays um, as well. It's just that sort of stuff. I like rock combined with the singer songwriter style. I think is what how I would put it. To be fair, yeah, yeah that's fair. And uh, you were, we did say on obviously my chat as well it's more eclectic and stuff so is it what's the kind of weirdest thing that you that you would listen to or like <sighs> is, there, is there a particular artist that you go like I wouldn't want that, people to know uh, not even that you would not want people to know just that yeah. like, that's just really weird if you if you want to give us one that you don't want people to know then be my guest but I grew I'm up just like, and I, I grew up in a like obviously Katie's like two years older than me you know what I mean uh, and then mm-hmm. Rachel was very close in age so growing up with two girls quite closely I loved Steps when I was younger, and I'll, I'll probably stand by some Steps songs to this very day. And that if I was to hear them, like part of me internally would just get excited because of the nostalgia rush of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's that that aspect of it. But I, there, for me, there's a place for like cheesy pop as well. You know what I mean? Like sees classic Britney Spears and stuff like that. I'm just like, yes, give me that in a night out sort of time. You know what I mean? Throw in, oops, I did it again in your playlist. You know what I mean? And I'll just feel like that's a that's three minutes of sheer joy that I'm going to have in that club, just like remembering every lyric from back in the day, listening to the radio. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there you have it. Have you got a Britney <laughs> band T-shirt by any chance now? I should have a Britney <laughs> T-shirt. Do you know what well. I do have, mate? I have a Shakira one. That was a uh, Olga who I lived with when I was in Boston uh, when we were leaving, bought me a Shakira T-shirt because she introduced me to this uh, the, like the Spanish singing style of Shakira coming from Chile. You know, right, obviously, yeah, yeah. and there's a lot of really good sort of like, like I said, more sort of songwritery, ballady songs from Shakira that she does in Spanish. So we'd bond over that. So she bought me a Shakira t-shirt when I left Boston, uh, which I still have, but definitely does not fit me anymore. So <laughs> well, maybe one day, <laughs> maybe one day we'll rock the Shakira t-shirt. You know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, um, still on the topic of music, um, you obviously 
played a little bit about a little bit of guitar uh, growing mm. up and mm. had lessons and stuff. Um, how do you? I know that you you kind of self proclaim that you're not very great at it, and yeah. you know you're obviously a bit hesitant to to bring it out here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, going you know going forward, is it something that you'll continue to just kind of keep at that level, or would you ever think about maybe progressing it again? Going, you know, I know that you're obviously a big writer uh, mm. in terms of writing screenplays, but you know, you've written some songs and stuff as well. Do mm. you think? Do you think you would maybe pick that up again and maybe try and develop that? I had, I had a really great guitar teacher when I was younger, um, a man called Mike Clayton. Um, who was a professor of music um, at the University of Glasgow um, and is like a really, really strong classical guitarist in his own right. So I just I remember when I was younger just saying I wanted to play the guitar, like really into music. This was around the time I was starting to, as you say, discover bands like Bon Jovi, like Iron Maiden around that very sort of the inception of my love for that style of music. You know what I yeah. mean? So I was like, yeah, I want to learn guitar. Um and Mike gave me a really, really good, strong, fundamental education of it because it was classical music he taught me um, and progressed fair, to a fairly decent level as the years went on. Um, like I was, There's one song, if you gave me the sheet music for today, I would still be able to play almost note perfect, and that's the love theme from The Godfather, uh, yeah, Sort of yeah. Love. I guarantee you muscle memory would allow me to play that song <laughs> perfect. If you, yeah. give me, if you give me the sheet music, I will... I'll, pump it out easily like easily like without a shadow of a doubt on that but it's one of those things that comes into like like you said knowing your own limitations like our our pal johnny went to the same guitar teacher as me mike and johnny is leaps and bounds above me as a guitar player right so it's one of those things seeing his progression where i was at from an early age i knew that guitar wasn't my strength you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i i'm Mm -hmm. not a natural talent or natural prodigy at guitar because i'm quite as you know i'm not the most coordinated individual in the planet (laughs) you know what i mean so it's quite difficult for me to make sure like there was a lot of work to get fingers in the right frets and stuff like that and be spatially aware of what was happening and with the guitar strings and stuff like that yeah and he had that so it was there's that competitive side of me as well that sort of like maybe got annoyed about that when i was younger it's different for me I didn't quit guitar, I didn't quit Mike because of that. I quit guitar and quit Mike because I genuinely didn't have the time and I was fo- so much focused on my hires and stuff yeah. um, at that point. But nowadays, I wouldn't pursue it because it's more the self-awareness of knowing I'm stronger in other other areas than I am at that. And there's no resentment yeah. towards that. It's just the way things are. You know, it's just yeah. some things you need to accept that you're not going to be great at in life. But I do enjoy picking up and it's a really sort of, therapeutic thing sometimes just strum a few chords if you easy ah, chords course. that i know you know of course <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah so i mean obviously if if the guitar thing you're not looking to develop and stuff like that but see mm-hmm. with the uh, writing you know would you consider writing songs as well on the side even if you're not going to actually perform them or not going to actually that's a good know, question that's... do you ever just consider just as, as a side you know a side uh no yeah or a side please I definitely is the short answer to it. Yes, because I was <laughs> yes. in the, I was in the car last night and uh, had an idea for a hook for a chorus and sort of put it down on my phone, recorded it a wee voice note just so I don't forget it. You know what I mean? But it's mm-hmm. it's different for me when I write a screenplay. It needs to be there's so many elements that go into it. It's not just the emotion of it. Like you need to think about what's this theme, what's the story about, who's the characters, and then all that comes together. With mm-hmm. a song, you can take one emotion you're feeling in your day and then 
turn that into like a three minute song, you know, because there's a lot of re- repetition in there. You know, there's a, it's a very small sort of aspect of life you're focusing on in that. So in many ways, it's easier to write that immediately where you're in a space wherein with other forms of writing, I find like screenplay writing, um, you need to sort of have a distance from the experience that's inspiring that, you know what I mean, to be able to do it justice because you haven't been able to fully evaluate it and see the wood through the trees. But with songwriting, a lot of that comes from, like, you need passion, you know, you need delivery, you need to, like, make sure the words are strong enough so they hit and they have impact. Um, So I do enjoy that aspect of it, even if it's a therapeutic private level, like writing songs, you know what I mean, as opposed to the sort of, I wouldn't call it more working craft, that's just what it is for me personally, because I focus more on screenplay writing, but that's more of a sort of, like, I need to dedicate two hours to this, rather than the song of, yeah. like, I'm feeling this way, let's get these thoughts down, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, have you always known that screenwriting was something that you wanted to do, or, or, like, can you remember, like, your kind of earliest thought of what job you wanted to do when you are younger? <laughs> That's a tough one. The earliest job I wanted to do when I was younger... I think I wanted to be Intercontinental Champion by the time I was 21, mate. Like, honestly, <laughs> like, wrestling was it for me. I absolutely loved that. I still, still do to this day. I love... I think it's just a fascination with this sort of culture of wrestling that I still have to this day. Yeah. But even back then, back then, obviously, you don't know it's scripted and stuff like that. It's a different vibe. I'm like, I'm going to get buffed up. And then I could beat Rob Van Dam easily. You know, I could go in and knock that cut out. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I would beat, I'll be, I'll be, yeah, I'll be, that was my persona. What, the, the worst wrestling name in the planet. Like, the most the generic, the most generic wrestling name in the planet and would definitely get you cancelled nowadays. You know what I mean? But that was, <laughs> that was what I was The nonce. Like, <laughs> <laughs> United States champion the nonce uh, will not be here tonight he's been arrested um, but, oh my god <laughs> but you're right like I always have been creative like I'd watch like movies like superhero movies and I think oh what could I how could we make a sequel to the Dark Knight or something like that or like and I love to <laughs> I love to create uh, in that I way I know exactly how <laughs> yeah, exactly like you were yeah, there it's, it's funny I mean, just you, experiences. yeah just because you mentioned that there I may as well just get, get these stories out so yeah. well funny that you wanted to be an intercontinental champion from that age because I used to batter you on your trampoline every <laughs> single time so you were never going to make it if you couldn't even beat me um, and, then, <laughs> and then after that um, they're obviously the, the the interest in making films and stuff came about and we used to like mm-hmm. actually make we used to think out of like how a sequel to Dark Knight would would be and mm-hmm. the characters that would be involved and blah blah blah. Although it was an absolutely piss sequel because we just basically just copied the first one, um, <laughs> just copied the first one and gave people different names and different yeah. uh, like. Remember, I did like, a, a Godfather one like oh, one that oh was basically God. the Godfather, but instead of like a, a horse's head, it was like a I, goat's no, head or uh, something like that. Yeah, it was me. Instead of, <laughs> Instead of uh, instead of it being Salazzo, you call them like Malazzo so or something. Malazzo, he's like, good with a gun instead of a knife. Mal- yeah, Malazzo, he's good with a gun. You actually just said the exact same dialogue, and then it was like there was a nu- there was a number. He was like offering them six million or something, or like oh, I can't remember. But you you just changed it to like a different number, and it was just the exact hindsight, same dialogue. In hindsight, in hindsight now. A very good family guy spoof. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that would be the only that would be the only that's reason the, it would get made. The, the only use for that idea. 
Um, but you're right. We used to we used to do that. Like, and that's one of the things. We were just like little weirdos when we were younger. You know what I mean? Because like, everyone yeah. else was just like any football and stuff like that. And we were like, oh my god, what would happen if like the X Men like fought the Batman? You know what? What would be the thing? Just like geeks. You know what I mean? But low key sort of thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like you said, like, geek, mate. with the band yeah. thing, <laughs> you could just like act normal in society. Like, hey, this is why you're a good spy. You know what I mean? Like just act fairly normal, and then all of a sudden you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh my god, that X Men episode. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> but. That's that's the the problem I had. I knew that I didn't know that from a young age that that was something that I was was a strength of mine. You know what I mean? Because it was mm. just something I did. It was something I enjoyed. Something that was a creative, a creative outlet to de stress and just my personality being that. And especially in high school, I always felt a sort of poisonous ambition to be the best. You know what I mean? And yeah. the thing that I found I could be the best at was like getting the good grades and being as good in school as possible. And yeah. I think that that poisoned and sort of warped what I wanted to do. So eventually, it led to um, basically me pursuing a wrong path. And it took me doing that to find the clarity to say, "No, this is what I want to do. I could be good at this. I could be good at writing stories and stuff like that." And it's strange mm-hmm. how I got there because originally I thought I was going to go into psychology after I left uh, my law degree. Um, but then oh, I figured yeah. out it wasn't psychology I liked, it was the Criminal Minds episodes I enjoyed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, yeah. that was what finally flipped the switch. Like that and watching Kill Bill, I think, happened in the same day. And I was like, I really want to write these stories. That is what I want to do, you know? Yeah. So it, it's bizarre the long and winding roads you get to, you know, actually figuring that out. Even if the answer seems as obvious as it did when I was like five, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you're... Well, I know already know, but you can tell the the listeners of your newest project as well, um, mm. Night Blooms. Yeah, um, it's. It, I need to give the background to it because I sort of skirted around the issue. So obviously, I went into law back in twenty fourteen, and basically, just for a lot of different factors um, in my life going on around that that time, I was lost basically the first big death in my life was my granda which coincided with going to uni a lot of things changing personally and then really sort of being unable to not confront my bisexuality for the first time in my life because for a lot of the time it wasn't i'll be honest with you it was easy not to think about it because i was that focused on other stuff you know what i mean yeah um, mm-hmm. but when i went to uni just with all that going on i suddenly was unable to sort of ignore it or sort of think it away in my head and it led to me like having suicidal thoughts and having a sort of my first I don't want to say my first spell with depression because I think I would have felt it before that but not identified it but it was just one of those things where I couldn't ignore it so that was that was the biggest sort of um low point in my life probably still is like I was going to say up to that point but definitely it's the lowest point I've ever felt so With Night Blooms, it was when I was in Boston and it was it was need about Halloween and I was just like, right, I'm ready to write a script about this, um, about a bisexual boy dealing with grief and the right and wrong ways to go about that. You know, just like mm-hmm. taking my own experience and my own feelings for that time and putting it into this new story with this new narrative and new characters, you know. Yep. Um, so I wrote the first 20 pages of that back in 2018 and it wasn't till lockdown hit that I was going through my old laptop, rediscovered the script, and I was like, 
I can easily make this into a feature. All of a sudden, with this distance from it now being six years on, I know exactly where the story has to yeah. end, what the characters yeah. need to do, what the story is here. So I wrote it over lockdown, and yeah, basically the next step, I'm trying to get funding to create a proof of concept for it. Um, our friend at First Time Films, Ailey Lone, is involved. She's going to direct that proof of concept. There's a lot of other people I'm in talks with right now, which are really exciting, but obviously not mm -hmm. much I can say just in case that doesn't doesn't happen. <laughs> but it's easily, it's one of those things, and this isn't saying it with Eagle because I'm not saying it's the best script all time, but it's the best thing I've ever written. Easily, yeah. easily the best writing I've ever done. And it's a good feeling to be able to say that, but it also comes with this sort of, um, there's now this need that I want this script, if it is going to get made, to be in the best possible hands. So that's that's just what I'm working to right now with it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what you said there was obviously, um, you know, some hardships that you went through and the mm. fact that you can put the emotion and reflect it into a, a script, um, something mm -hmm. that you're really passionate about is, you know, it speaks speaks volumes. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you must be really proud of it and stuff. Do you think... Um, Going forward, writing some more stuff, do you think it's always going to be pretty emotional? Like, you know, not always going to be reflecting of your own life, but do you think mm -hmm. there's always going to be a huge element of emotion? Or do you think sometimes writers just get an idea and go, uh, let's just pump that out and let's, you know, put that out? There's always a bit of yourself when you're writing. You know what I mean? There's like, that's the way I put a look at it. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be, whether it's your unconscious biases that are influencing what you write or whether it is like tapping into like a deep emotional well and using that as the influence for your story, um, there's always going to be something in it. Whether what I'll do going forward after this is a tricky question because I have a couple of ideas for scripts and what I think would be really good stories that are more sort of leaning into sort of comedy aspects of it, which right. I also I also do enjoy to write. Um, mm -hmm. I like to write horror short story uh, short films as well. Like, I find that really fun playing in a horror wheelhouse. Um, but then also, I've moved on in six six years, you know what I mean, from writing that. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in that intervening six years I could channel into and use it in the same way I used in that script. You know what I mean? So there's no easy answer to that. It just depends. The way I work is I get, there's a lot of story ideas I have written down. You know what I mean? And then eventually I'll know which is the one Right, this is the one that I know is going to be the strongest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because a lot yeah. of story ideas I have that are written down and will never see the light of day. You know what I mean? Even yeah. if like someone else would be able to develop them, I know I'm just not the guy for that that story idea. Because right. there's yeah, a yeah. difference. The difference between having the the story and the idea there, and then thinking, right, how do we make this my story? You know, how do we make this pop? And yeah, absolutely. I'll just I'll know what that is when when it comes along next time, you know what I mean? It's That seems like I'm darting around the question with that. It's, a, it's essentially a long-winded way of saying I don't know, but that's just how the process sort of works in my head, if you know what oh, I mean. Oh, of course. No, of course. Um, just going back again, you know, dealing with obviously the hardships you went through and stuff, mm. do you find that writing is definitely the biggest um, treatment to that? Or um, do you mm -hmm. find that sometimes you get yourself, like, you know, is there even times where it actually brings it out of you like you know it, it sort of uh, exacerbates it because you're maybe frustrated with your writing or you're not you know doing as well as you want or maybe it brings back mm -hmm. you know with with uh, Nightblooms in particular does it bring back any negative thoughts you know that you would rather not think about or take the first part of that question first yeah um, so it's too it doesn't <laughs> no no yeah yeah it's um it doesn't help 
at the time, I don't think. I can't write when I'm in right, that yeah. sort of level of depression. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't work because like you like it's one of those things when you're depressed, like everything that does give you joy no longer sort of gives you you don't Absolutely. have the motivation sometimes all you want to do is lie in your bed or you'll be scrolling through your phone for three hours. So it's not it's not a productive mindset to be in when you're depressed mm-hmm. to be able to write. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it helps. The second part of the question is an interesting one. Because when I first wrote the 20 pages of Night Blooms back in 2016, I cried after it. And that's probably why I didn't go back to it, because the wound was still a bit too fresh yeah, back then. Yeah. Like, I couldn't like I couldn't write anymore. And that first 20 pages is, is really powerful, and a lot happens in it, and it's quite an emotionally charged first 20 minutes of that script. But going back to it with 2020 eyes, I was able to do it and detach myself from it and sort of logistic, mm-hmm. like think about what happened logically in my head. Like, okay, these are the emotions that I'm felt and I still have access to them, but they're not overwhelming. You know what I mean? Because it's one yeah. of those things, like obviously I'm able to talk candidly about my experience, but whenever I do that, I do have the concern that I'm sort of being flippant about it. I'm not because it was a shit time. And it's one of those things that never fully goes away, to be openly honest with everyone. Like, the mm-hmm. past, I probably, in the past week, went through my worst sort of depressive spell for a while, to be honest with you. So yeah. I'm, I'm talking about it with sort of access to those emotions. But at the same time, I'm not in the place I was back then anymore. And to yeah. be able to talk about it, frankly, I know might help someone who's going through that stage right now, if they are listening. You know what I mean? So... Absolutely. It's, it's one of those it's one of those balancing acts of yes, you need to have access to tap into those emotions, but at the same time, if they're too overwhelming and they're going to set you back, like you need to think about your sort of personal health first, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you need to put yourself first before you try and yeah. write a script, basically. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Not to be flippant about it, but yeah, I think yeah, definitely. It, it's like anything like you well, you actually put it perfectly when you're in that sort of frame of mind, you mm-hmm. can um you you can't be productive because it, it won't allow you to be productive mm-hmm. and what you actually end up writing or something it won't be it won't be your best work but it, will, it may actually end up being even more negative to yourself I think mm-hmm. um, you know Definitely. sometimes you sometimes get in your own head with that so and no, you're punishing absolutely. you end up punishing yourself because it's not going to be the best work and then you're sort of like oh I'm a shit writer so like it shouldn't be doing this shit, yeah, exactly. and then you spiral you know you spiral from there self-sabotage exactly yeah exactly um, anyway, a lot, of the, the, a lot of the listeners might not know what you're doing and what your next steps are. Um, mm-hmm. So you're obviously looking to be writing, um, mm-hmm. but you have recently started university again for postgraduate yes. teaching. Um, yes. And you have had some experience with your tutoring um, over mm-hmm. the last, well, I, w- I want to say two years. Has it been two years yeah. of tutoring? So I have tell us about that. I came back. It's, it's one of those things where in, like, the teaching profession is something I have a lot of respect for, and I wouldn't be going into it if I didn't. Um, at the same, at the same time, obviously, like I'm looking at it as a job, and it's a job I take very seriously. You know, as a job, you know, and I think there's a, the distinguish between it because there's a lot of people going to teaching because it's their dream to do it, and they have these lot of images of oh, I'm going to help other kids and stuff like that. I'm going into it. This is going to be a profession for me, and it's mm-hmm. a way to make money, and it's a way to you know fund a lifestyle as well. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. At the same time. I'm also able to recognise that I'm good at teaching. Like I've found with tutoring that I've enjoyed being able to figure out what makes each individual child 
tick, what's their strengths and weaknesses, you know what I mean, what's going to help them go on. So I do I'm have sure. the skill set to be able to do it. And starting the degree again, it's been it's been interesting. It's also been really stressful because it's all over Zoom and no one's completely <laughs> figured out how to do everything and set everything up to the right way. So sometimes you're waiting in class and there's something and I'm just like, oh, dearie me. And obviously sitting in front of a computer screen for hours isn't the most uh, the best thing. But it's also really enlightening, like all the figuring out all the educational theories and it's dead positive because I remember in school, you know yourself, there's teachers you had that were dead set in their ways and belong to sort of a bygone era almost, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And to see the way that teaching's being moved with the sort of new guidelines that are being given with the government and the new sort of educational practices that are being focused on and to focusing on individual pupils and individual needs and the definitions of what success means for every individual pupil yeah. is something that I find you know, really positive to be a part of. And yeah, it's it's another part of my journey and I don't know where where it's going to take me, how long I'll be teaching for and all that jazz. Um, mm-hmm. But it's something that I'm, yeah, take a lot of pride in to say I'll be able to do this um, as of, you know, I'll be in placement in like a month's time, which is quite scary. So yeah, <laughs> just need, <laughs> need to see how the journey takes us. I could get into the classroom and freeze in front of Wayne's and then that'll be it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. you, can you see what happens? <laughs> Toughest audience out there as well, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, horrible. Um, you're obviously, I mean, you're obviously looking forward to it and stuff. Is there any, looking back, you know, at your time in secondary or even primary, mm. um, like a favourite teacher that you think, obviously, it's, as you said, it's not your dream to be, so it wasn't like you thought, this is what I want to do uh-huh. because of this person, but is there anyone now that you are you can look back and reflect, now that you're going into teaching, is there anyone that you really admire that you, mm-hmm. you know, you thought they they have kind of set you up? Um, for these uh-huh. for this skill set to be tutoring and to now go into teaching, I think there's three teachers specifically. Um, Mistigan's one of them. To be, uh, who we both had, who we both uh, keep yeah. some form of contact with to this day. Um, she, I was never the best at English, but she not only bolstered my desire to work hard at English and understand it and taught it in a way that I feel. Everyone who was in the class sort of understood it very well, mm-hmm. but also the sort of both of the performance of great side of me as well, because obviously she directed West Side Story, which was our high school musical that we did that year that both of us were a part of, and um, mm-hmm. both like put in a very positive environment into that, like established a really good sort of team spirit among it. Mm-hmm. And it was my early, it's my earliest introduction that anyone's given me to being able to write and have my writing assessed by someone who I trusted and really respected their opinion and felt that they were invested in me as a pupil, as I was in them as a teacher, and also to be a really sort of, a really strong director as well, um, and to sort of experience what that means and how to run a show and stuff like that. Um, So definitely Miss Dugan. Uh, Mr Heron as well, just because of, I did debating in sixth year, um, and he was the one who ran that society. Um, and that's something that I, I did enjoy doing. Like it was getting up and have the confidence to speak in front of people that I never would have had that experience to speak in front of before. And I'm proud of what, because it was the team of him, me, and obviously Sean, who was a partner. And that I'm proud to say we were the first public school to ever reach that final. But it was a daunting experience along the way to go to several private schools and have to beat them. The sort of, though there isn't. <laughs> 
underdog element, so yeah. Yeah, there's an underdog element. There's also something really intimidating about it because there's the element of looking down, you know, on you. Um, yeah, because absolutely. of where you come from and the area I come from. Um, so I appreciate his support throughout all of that, sort of saying there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do this because of where the school is or the fact that it's a public school, that you shouldn't be able to compete against these private schools and go the distance, yeah. you know what I mean? So I really appreciate that lesson. Obviously, Mr Craig is the last one I would bring up. He ran his tech teacher around the St Andrews golf trip uh, that all of our pals went on uh, most of the years that we were at school. Um, mm. And became is one of these teachers who never used his authority to intimidate anyone. You know what I mean? Because he never he never crossed the line to being like, oh, he's your pal. You know what I mean? He's still your teacher, but he yeah. was able to deal with you in a way that you felt respected, that you felt Absolutely. appreciated, and you felt it felt good to be in his company. So yep. for different reasons, those are the probably the three that I bring up as like examples of really really great teachers that I experienced. Yeah. So. I mean, all great answers and all great reasons for so saying them. I would agree with you. We all had, well, I had, I had Mr. Craig as a teacher as well as having him on the golf trip, um, mm-hmm. and all three of them, like you described them, were absolutely perfect. We both had them and um, enjoyed them and, and learned a lot from them. Um, yeah, you know, for you going into that role, are you thinking you would like to be kind of an amalgamation of, of the three of them <laughs> in, that, in that sense? No, I, I mean, obviously, yeah. I say it kind of in a joke, but like. You know, are those the qualities that you've identified that you yourself would like to carry on? Yeah, basically, those are, those are the the things that I would like to to do for kids. The last thing I want to go in and do is not to be able to have like a relationship with the kids, where it's just like, right, take out your books and go and do this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I want to be able to be in the position where I care about their opinion on things. I'd not necessarily just teaching them to the exams, but be able, be able to teach them sort of moral lessons say we're reading a book or watching a film yes have the discussion about the technical things they're going to have to discuss but then not be afraid to raise other questions that are going to make them think about things more deeply as well i think that's a thing that i have an early sort of concern about doing early doors because i'm not just i don't think i'm just there to be able to say right here's your exam at the end of the day go and pass it like if they've not learned something outside of the curriculum in our classroom i don't think i've done my job right so that's just where yeah. I sort of stand on it, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we'll just wrap it up there, Truff. Um, nice. I think we've basically covered all bases. It's good, to, good to um, obviously hear your thoughts in the podcast going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you've got this new role, this exciting new role, um, mm. going into teaching and stuff as well. Yeah. So um, and to have overcome all your hardships and stuff, uh, we're all very proud of you, Truff. <laughs> oh, thank you. There's no one but, prouder of myself than me because I'm not getting on to Because I am an narcissistic <laughs> Well, um, I suppose we'll, we'll actually just plug that as well. Be sure to check out um, Truff Sings uh, YouTube, which has recently crashed and burned, which will be <laughs> rising from the ashes like a phoenix with um, the new yeah. trailer of... 10 reasons not to make a film or not to make a movie Um, and be sure to check us out on the first time films FTTV and full time football on Spotify, iTunes and all good podcasting platforms all the good ones all of the good ones mate only the good ones, the The bad ones can go and get themselves to fuck exactly, (laughs) it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you Truff Um, and thanks for listening catch you bye bye